Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. If you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church, uh... For any period of time, there's a time in a church where they go through, at least the churches that I grew up in in central Kentucky, stewardship month. Yeah. Uh, It is one of the lowest attended months of the year in most churches because it's where the pastor usually gets up and they make an appeal for money. I've only preached on giving or tithing at a church once in 22 years. And I've gotten scolded for that by some other pastors. You need to preach on it once a year. You need to. I did it here back in 2014. And it's one of the subjects, honestly, I don't like to talk about. And it's not because it's not important, it's because there's been such a stigma on money within the church. And I say not just North Maine, but the church universal, I would say specifically in America. We've become jaded often to talk about money because we see pastors oftentimes flying around in Lear jets or having these brand spanking new cars that are like well out of reach for, I would say, 90% of the population. And so we ask the question, and rightly so, should we talk about money because that's the image that a lot of the general public gets on the church and how it handles money? We take very seriously at North Main, the leadership, the board, the pastors on staff, the monies that are given through tithes and offerings, uh, and we take very seriously not only the heart with which it's given, uh, But we take very seriously the accountability that comes with that to be literally good stewards of what's been entrusted to us, not only by you guys, but by God's blessings upon North Main Street Church of God. So I want you to know that we handle things with as much transparency as we conceivably can without doing any breach of confidentiality. You can ask any of us in the office at any time about the finances, and we will open the books, and you can see those. That is always a possibility, okay? Secondly, as we talk over the next three weeks, so please don't skip out the next two weeks after this, okay? Like, oh no, he's going to be talking about money for three weeks? Are you serious? Well, it's not a whole month, so you're in luck. Um, I want to talk about legitimately why, first off, not just why it's been a stigma, because I gave you a little bit of an example of that. And and I'll tell you, my stepfather growing up, he'd been my father since I was two years old, not a Christian until two years before he passed. Most of you know that story. He was very volatile against the church. My mom and I started going to church when I was 11 years old. uh, And and when I was 14, I, I truly had an encounter with Christ and a belief and a faith in him that rocked my world and changed my life forever. At age 16, I felt a calling into ministry. I didn't know what that meant. Little did I know, 
several decades later, I'd be standing on a platform in front of people in Butler, Pennsylvania, out of the small podunk town in Bergen, Kentucky, talking to you guys about any subject, much less money. My dad always had this pushback about the church. All it wants is your money and they play on your heartstrings. They manipulate you, they, they, they work and coerce you, they, they try to make you feel guilty so that you'll give more. And so growing up in that kind of an environment, in that kind of a household, even feeling a calling into ministry, I said, I don't ever want to talk about money. I don't want to know what anybody gives. I don't want, God will bless regardless. As I've said to you before, I don't look at people's personal tithing records. I have no clue other than my own tithing records what anybody gives. I just don't. I refuse to do that. That's not on me. That's on you and God. Okay? So you can take that to the bank. You can believe it or not. But this subject of money is an important subject. Why? Because it is talked about over 200 times in Scripture. Money or possessions are referenced over 200 times in Scripture. And probably more than that, but at least in the version I was looking at, that's what I pulled up. And so if money and possessions are talked about that often in Scripture, then it begs the question, should we not be talking about it? Even against my uncomfortability in talking about it, it is an important subject. But I want to talk about it from a biblical perspective and not a coercive perspective. You will never hear me in the next three weeks try to beg you to give or coerce you to give. I'm going to lay the scripture out and you make the determination on what you need to do. I'm not going to try to pull on your heartstrings or say you should give a certain percentage. When I preached about this several years ago here, it disgruntled a few people that left the church. I'm asking you, please don't leave the church <laughs> over this. This is a silly thing to leave the church over. I'm going to give you one passage today from the Old Testament. In the next two weeks, we're going to look at the New Testament perspective because here's where the rub comes. Well, we don't abide by the Old Testament anymore. Uh, yes and no. We have a new covenant. There was an old covenant that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we can get into the debates of all the theological issues on that. I mean, there are multiple different perspectives on covenant theology and old covenant theology and all of that stuff. That's a different subject for a different time. But today, we're going to look at the Old Testament and the next two weeks, the New Testament. We're going to see what Paul says about it. We're going to see what Jesus says about it in addition to what Moses says about it for the old covenant community, okay? Okay, just making sure you're still with me. J.H. Jowett said, the real measure of wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all of our money. Let me say that again. I would even add possessions to that. The real measure of our wealth is how much we would be worth if we lost everything. I think of Job immediately. He was blameless in God's sight. It never said he was perfect, it just said he was blameless in God's sight. And he lost everything except for a wife who said, curse God and die, right? All right, that's a, again, another subject for another time. But was he worth less because he lost everything? No, because when you get to 
Job chapter 32 is when God starts to speak. And he kind of puts Job in his place because Job is demanding something from God. And us, we would say, rightly so. He's lost everything and God didn't stop him from losing everything. But God puts everything in perspective for him and he realizes his fault and where he had erred in questioning God in such a manner as to doubt the trustworthiness of his Father in heaven. Just because you lose everything, you lose a job, you lose a spouse, you lose a child, you lose income, you lose any number of things, does not mean you're worth less. Do you think Jesus would have died for worthless people? Now, because he saw worth in every single person that was ever created on the face of the earth. When he died, his death was not in vain, correct? Even if you were the only person, have you heard this before? If you were the only person on the earth, he still would have died for you. And I agree with that. I think that's true because we are all in need of a Savior. And even if one of us was the only, if we were the only person on the earth, we'd still be in need of a Savior. Okay? So we are worth more than we give ourselves credit for. But the, the reason we are worth something is because we are image bearers of the Most High God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us create man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? We are created in God's very image. And by that very purpose, we have purpose in life. We have meaning. We have worth. But our worth cannot be realized apart from Christ, and you have to step into the grace of Christ by repenting of sins, surrendering your life to him. That is where your worth finds its truth. Okay? So, money is one of those subjects. Like I said, it is such a taboo topic in our culture. Especially now that inflation's going up, prices of things in grocery stores are going up, gas I'm hearing may hit $5 a gallon by next summer. I mean, just crazy off-the-wall stuff. Money is a touchy subject. You don't want to mess with somebody's wallet because when you do, there's some bad stuff that can happen, right? You don't want the government to mess with your wallet. You don't want the church to mess with your wallet. You don't want anybody to mess with your wallet. That's your personal business. And it will stay that way as we go through this series. But there are some passages that we cannot just gloss over. So today, we're looking at Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, one of the first five books of the Old Testament, chapter 14, Deuteronomy is actually translated second law. That's what it means. Deutero, Deuteronomy, okay? Second law. When was the first law given? Exodus, Leviticus, a little bit of Numbers. Okay, but mainly Exodus and Leviticus. It's in Exodus we get the Ten Commandments, and we get the unpacking of what those Ten Commandments are. In Leviticus, we get the laws for the Levitical priesthood and how the community of faith, the Israelites, were to worship God through festivals and offerings and sacrifices and those kind of things. And so, now we get to Deuteronomy. They have spent 40 years in the wilderness. So they left Exodus through the Red Sea, they were in the wilderness for about 11 or 12 months. They sent spies into the land, and the spies came back. If you remember, there were 12 of them. Two of them, uh, Caleb and Joshua, said, 
It's bountiful, it's great, and if God has given it to us, we can take it. Which God had said, it's your land, the promised land. Ten came back and said, yeah, it's bountiful, it's great, it's amazing, but the people are giants there. And we look like grasshoppers to them, and they thought we looked like grasshoppers too. Basically, they were saying, if we go in, they're going to squish us. We're going to be, you know, why would God lead us to this place only to have us die? And that became their mantra for 40 years in the wilderness. Because here's what happened. They were in the wilderness for about 11 months, the wilderness of Sinai. They had gotten the law from God. Moses interpreted that law for the people. And now they're standing on the edge of the promised land. They were not to be there any longer. They were going into a land that God had promised their ancestor Abraham. It was their free gift. And God said about the inhabitants that lived there, if you read in Numbers and, and even Exodus, that he would drive the people out ahead of them. So is God trustworthy? Yes. How do you know God's trustworthy? When you lean into him and lean into his promises, you see that his promises always work out to be true. But you cannot see that God's trustworthy often until you lean into him because trust requires action on our part too, doesn't it? Trust is not some innocuous word. It's a word that requires action. Trust is not trust without action. Okay? And so God is trustworthy. He said, here's the land. You can take it. I'm there with you. I'll drive the people out. They come back and say, the people are too big. And they start to rise up against Caleb and Joshua and Moses, and they want to stone them to death and kill them. And so God says, fine. I'm done with you guys. You all are going to be forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And a generation of you will die off. 40 years is about a generational term. And so the current living people of that day and age that were 20 years of age or older were going to die in the wilderness. The next generation that would be brought up in the wilderness would inhabit and inherit the promised land that God had promised to their ancestors. So it's a totally different sermon, but I'm giving you the background of this. So now, while they're in the wilderness, Moses does something stupid. He ends up whacking a rock with a stick. When God said, speak to the rock, did Moses disobey God? Yes, he did. We say it's pretty harsh punishment. He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land just because he hit the rock with a stick instead of speaking to the rock. Well, God is pretty serious about obeying what he tells us to obey. And so Moses now is exempted from the promised land. And so they're now 40 years of wilderness wandering is up. They're there on the precipice of the promised land on the other side of the Jordan River looking across to the west where Jericho and all of that is. And Joshua is given the banner of leadership from Moses. Moses is given access to the promised land by getting to go up to Mount Nebo to look out over the promised land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. God allowed him that grace to be able to see it. But before that, Moses wanted to make sure they understood what they're getting into. So the second law, or Deuteronomy, is kind of a reiteration of all of the laws of God. We got the Ten Commandments uh, rewritten again in this book. 
and we have all the other laws that sets this next generation up for success in the promised land. And so part of that is, how are they to handle their money? How were they to handle the, the religious structure in society that was the central facet of their worship? What were they supposed to do? In Deuteronomy 14, and this isn't the only passage in Deuteronomy that deals with this, but I think this is a very good description of how they were to handle their finances, their resources, etc., etc. Listen to what he says. Be sure, verse 22, to set aside a tenth of all of your fields, excuse me, all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place that he will choose as his dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Okay, so did they have a printing press or a mint or anything to produce money? No. So what was the form of, of, of money that they had in those days? goods. Right. So they had livestock, they had crops, they had all of that kind of thing, whether it was grapes or grain, anything like that. Goats, sheep, oxen, etc., etc. They were, as they farmed the land, as they cared for their livestock every year to bring a tenth of the first fruits, meaning the best of their crops or the first of their crops or their livestock, to a place where God would choose that his name would be honored. That was the tabernacle, which was a tent that traveled through the region at the time before they had a temple under King Solomon later on. But, he goes on to say, if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, like your grain and all of that, if you've been blessed and you've got a huge abundance, a tenth, is a lot for you to carry around on the backs of camels or, or donkeys or that, then here's what you can do. Because the place where the Lord you uh, chose to put his name is too far away from you, then here's what you do. You exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place that your Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or fermented drink. <gasps> Just kidding. Okay, let's go back. It's what it translates as, all right? Or anything you wish. And then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living among your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. The Levites were the priests, the ones who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. The people would come to this place of worship, offer these sacrifices, and the Levites would get a portion of the, the tithes that were presented, the sacrifices that were presented as their allotment and upkeep and care, okay? And this was a celebration time as well before the Lord. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the aliens or the foreigners the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So there's a lot to unpack there and uh, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand this, but there are three specific things I want us to take away from this, okay? But before we get there, let's talk about what a tithe is or a tenth. This actually New Living Testament, excuse me, New Living Translation translated as, tra translated 
translates it as tenth when that's what exactly the word tithe means, is a tenth. In the church today, we talk about giving a tenth of your income. And then I hear the debates, well, should I give a tenth, tenth of my, um, my net or my gross? And that's, I don't, between you and God. Some people have convictions one way or the other, you know? But, but that's typically in the traditional church environment that's kind of been the norm for giving. When we say to give your tithes and offerings, it means a tenth of your goods and, and income and those kind of things. Okay, so that's what a tenth means. Um, according to Earl uh, Kaland, the Jewish rabbis you have usually held that there were three tithes. Again, I'm not expecting that. It's not, that is not an expectation. Just hear me out on this. One for the priests and Levites, two for the communal mills, and three for every third year for the non-landed or people like the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows. Um, and it was a practical giving tool. So here's the key point this morning, okay? Are you, are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, just making sure. Come on, there's a, lot, there's a lot of background and foundation I need to give you before we go into this next stuff, okay? So stay with me. The key point this morning is this, giving what you have to God is about more than money and possessions, it's an act of worship. I want you to understand that first and foremost. Does God need your money? Have you heard it said, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? When I grew up, that's how they said it. God, I know God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And they'd say that with a little bit of a lisp, okay? And it's true, there is nothing that God does not have, and there is nothing that God needs. Okay? You all right, just, I'm happy to go back? Okay, so there's nothing that God needs, there's nothing that God doesn't have, okay? Just so you understand that. Well, then why do we, why, why do we have to give money? Why is it, because it's an act of worship, and that's the first point this morning. This, this giving of monies is a way to worship God. It's to provide not only, no, that's, no, go back, number one. Or is that, is that number one? Okay, that is not the right number one. That's number two, which actually is a bad thing to say from the stage. Number one is an act of worship. I don't know what your outlines say. An act of worship to God in recognition of his provision. That shouldn't be point number one. Okay, this is an act of worship to God in recognition of his provision. Okay, you say, well, God, I don't have a lot. You've been provided with something, right? Are you thankful? Here's the thing. It's not about <laughs> me, me trying to milk you for everything you have. It's not about the pastor trying to do that or the church trying to heap that on you. The reality is it's not about... You, God, and the pastor, or you, God, and North Main Street Church of God. It's really about you and God, okay? I want you to understand that. That's what, one of the reasons I refuse to look at tithing records to see who gives what and all of that. I know I'm human, and human, uh, being human, I, I'm prone to error, and I don't want to, to be um, partial in any way, form, or fashion, I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? And not intentionally, 
We just came through a six-week series on offense. I'm not intentionally trying to offend you. But sometimes the subject matter we talk about can be offensive or can offend you. And, and you have to deal with what that offense is, okay? But this is an act of worship to God. How is this an act of worship to God? Everything that we have is truly a blessing from God, okay? Well, what about the bad things in life? Well, that's a result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We live in a world that's fallen and broken, but every good gift comes from above. So any good thing that you have in your life can be attributed to the blessing of your Father in heaven, whether you deserve it or not. And so what is our apt response? What is the appropriate response to God? Well, in the Old Testament, they gave a way to signify an act of worship to God for all that he had blessed them with, even if it was little or much. They even, if you look through the Old Testament, you go through the whole Old Testament, the, the poor in society maybe couldn't own livestock or didn't have a bunch of grain, and so they could bring a, a turtle dove to be sacrificed because it was one of the cheapest sacrifices. So they made accommodations for even the poor within society to be able to offer something of thanks to God by way of sacrifice and by way of worship. It was an imperative in the community of faith in the Old Testament for the Israelites, the, the people of God, to have an opportunity to give gratitude and thanks to God in a practical way. It's one, it's one thing to say thank you to somebody. It's another thing to express your gratitude to somebody in a practical way, isn't it? Let me ask you what's, what's more tangible and what's more um, not important, what's, what's more impactful is if somebody says thank you or if they show gratitude towards you for something. Okay, one of you believe this. Show gratitude, right? I can say I love you to my wife, but unless I show her love, does she believe that I love her? I can say I like you, but if I treat you poorly, do you believe that I like you? Or, and maybe I don't treat you poorly. I can say I like you and ignore you. Do you believe I like you if I'm ignoring you? Right? And I get that a lot. Well, he didn't shake my hand this week. I'm sorry, there's a bunch of you. I try to make it around as much as I can. Anyway, it's a total different side note. All right? Um, but here's the reality. An act of gratitude or generosity to God in thankfulness is an act of worship. And so in the Old Testament, one of the practical ways that you could act in worship to God through your generosity is by returning an apportionment of what he had blessed you with as a way to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It seems strange to think that God would even require this of us, except that it's not because he is some kind of person who wants to lord over us or make us feel bad or just squeeze every little ounce of something out of us, but rather he does necessarily know that it's more than words. And when we look at Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that God gives us through him, how much did God give us? If we're looking at our day and age, did he give 10% of himself? He gave everything. He gave 
You see, it wasn't his will, Peter says, that any of us perish, but all receive eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so he offers us this gift of salvation, complete and free, but it required something of him. And he stepped out of eternity and into time, took on human flesh and said, here's all of me. You see, this is the kind of God we worship and serve. And so when we start to get all riled up and worked up over 10%, we got to start putting that into perspective. Okay? Well, Brandon, we don't live by the Old Testament tithe. Okay, in the next couple weeks, there is some truth to that with exceptions. And we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. The second reason is not only is it an act of worship, it had a practical purpose to provide for the Levites and the priests. Okay? Again, the Levites and the priests were the ones who interceded on behalf of the people for God. They were the chosen ones set aside for the main purpose of the ministry, the ministering to God and ministering on behalf of the people. Were the people perfect? Did they have no sin? They did not. They were not perfect. They did have sin. And so what was required of them in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they were required to do what? Offer sacrifices for sin. So there were atonement sacrifices, there were sin offerings, there were multiple offerings in the book of Leviticus. Go ahead and read that. It is one of the best books you can read. (laughs) I know, when you start Genesis, Exodus, you're like, whoa, that is awesome, the Leviticus, and you die, right? I'm telling you, it is so full of important information that in order to truly understand the New Testament well and how Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, read Leviticus. You'll see the atonement sacrifices, the sin offerings. You see, all of that is completed through whom? Through him. So now in their system before Jesus came, there necessarily need to be provision for the priests and the Levites who interceded on behalf of the people. They were not to farm the land, really. They weren't to own crop or own livestock and crops. They could not own land as a priest or a Levite. Their sole responsibility and vocation was to do what? Intercede for the people of God by offering the sacrifices of the people in the places of worship. They could not be dual in their responsibility. If they were divided in their responsibility, working over here and doing this thing over here to provide a living for themselves, were they going to be worth much to do what they needed to necessarily do that was their primary vocation for God and the people? No. We have a similar structure today, which is not negated or, 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 or cut off from the Old Testament, We read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, around in that area, that there are certain offices given within the body of Christ. Prophets, evangelists, teachers, apostles. Do you you understand what I'm talking about? That their responsibility is to equip the saints for ministry. And so we do have many bivocational pastors out there because there are smaller fellowships that cannot provide an income or or a, a wage that people can live off of. So they have to necessarily have other income to provide for their families. 
We say, well, we shouldn't have that structure. That was an Old Testament structure. Okay. And we can, we can have that argument. Maybe we don't have priests and Levites today, but we do have pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, apostles. Yeah. And Paul recommends that they should be compensated justly or appropriately. And you can say, well, I don't agree with that because that's an Old Testament principle. You got to read your New Testament. Did in the abolishment, God didn't, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Does that mean it's completely, that he completely negated everything from the Old Testament? No, actually, Jesus, if you read, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he stepped up his game. He didn't let us off the hook. He made it harder. Did he not? He said, and you, you hear me quote this often, you heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say, even if you think lustfully toward a woman, you've committed adultery with her. I say you should, the, 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 you've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder. But I say if you hate, you stand in judgment. So what did Jesus do? See, again, this is what I talked about the past few weeks, is we get this idea that Jesus is all ooey-gooey and cuddly, and he's, uh, he might be my best buddy, and yes, he is truly a friend, somebody who loves you, and he showed you the extent of his love by what he was willing to do for you. But he is not some little puppy dog that we can roll around in the mud and tickle under the chin right? We can't throw him a little treat every so often, so he waggles his tail. We treat God like that way too much, and we dishonor not only his power and majesty, but his authority over our lives. Because we subvert the ways of God in the way we treat him when we don't stand in fear and awe of his holiness. So did he throw away everything? No, he stepped it up, and he said, okay, You've heard it said, but I say, okay, so what does he say about money? Again, the next two weeks we're going to get into that, but I'll give you a little brief, brief preview. There was a widow at the temple where they would bring their tithes and offerings to if you live close enough to the temple. And what did she give? Do you remember the story? He gave two mites. It's almost like, it sounds like a skin disease, doesn't it? She had mites and she just picked them off and threw. No, mites were like little copper coins. If you, and you heard me say this, I've got one, I've actually got one in my office. Thought, I should have brought, thought to bring it out. Maybe I will in a couple weeks. But it's like if you take one of our pennies today and you cut it in half, that would be two mites. Okay? They were that small, teeny tiny. Now, it was common in Jesus' day. And many centuries before, they had these huge offering vats, jars, with narrow openings at the top and wider at the bottom. And they didn't have paper money. They had, you could come to the temple. There were money changers there. They would take whatever coinage you would bring. They would change it into the temple tax coinage. You would then take that coin, uh, coins and drop it into this vat at different entrances to the temple, different locations. You, it was, it was a designated giving, okay? You could give to the wood for the sacrifices. You could give to the upkeep of this section of the temple or whatever. <sighs> I digress. But Jesus saw this lady come into the temple and he saw all these other 
really wealthy people, and they're dumping. Now, can you imagine? They're dumping money. They're dumping their money into these vats, right? What kind of noise do coins make when you dump a bunch of them? They have these coin machines at Giant Eagle and at banks and stuff, and people come in with their big jars or their, you know, their peanut butter cans or whatever, and they dump them in. What kind of noise does that make? It's pretty noisy. And I'm checking out, and I'm like, dude, stop. I'm trying to talk to the cat. No, I'm just kidding. But here, seriously, it makes a lot of noise. Now, imagine you're there, and there's a lot of this noise and hustle and bustle and people dumping large amounts of money in. And what does Jesus do? Who does he notice? A widow. Do you think a half a penny or let's just say a whole penny would make a noise you drop it into a large vat like that, large jar? Not within, an, not within any distance, even if you had your ear probably right up next to it, would you even hear it with the amount of noise going on in a busy temple like that? And Jesus gets the attention of his disciples. He says, come here, look at this. Do you see, do you see this widow? She's given two mites. And what does he say she gave? Is that 10%? Oh, so you're going to require that we give everything to the church and we become a commune. No, I'm not. But do you see what Jesus' teaching on this is? See, Jesus takes it to a whole new level too. He says it's not about a percentage. It's about a sacrifice. See, these people were giving and they were giving out of the abundance they had. Right? But she... Really having nothing gave everything she had. Anyway, that's a preview. You see, this was a practical purpose as as well as a, a, a spiritual purpose of worship. The third thing is it was to provide for the poor in the land. The Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows. The Jewish culture, especially when they began to grow and spread throughout the land that God had given them, uh, more and more people found themselves foreigners, fatherless, and widowed. Life happens. Difficulty hits. You find yourself um, having lost a spouse through an untimely death or a child or children losing both parents and become orphaned. Um, You find yourself a foreigner in, in, in in a land that is not your own. And what do you do? How do you make it? Because these people aren't my people. Their customs aren't my customs. How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? And so in the gracious goodness of God's mercy, he puts into place a system not only to take care of the people, not only provide an opportunity for worship, and to take care of the religious structure that was good in their day and age, but to take care of those that most needed to be taken care of. Well, how does the church really doesn't do much of that today? Well, as a matter of fact, depending on what church you go to, yeah, it does. Um, A vast majority of the monies that are given not only go to help provide for income of of our ministry staff that in essence are priests and Levites in this context, but a vast majority of what you give goes to help those in need. In, in your backyard, 
and also globally. We are very particular about who we give to. They have been through a full vetting process because we want to make sure that we are supporting not only people and groups uh, and agencies that advance the kingdom of God, but that have true and complete mindset of who Jesus is, okay? Does that mean we don't help people who are not Christians? Not at all. We help many, many people as a church. Um, And many of you say, well, I have no clue about any of that. And the only reason you don't have much of a clue about any of that is because you've not sought the answers, (laughs) if I'm being honest. You want to, let me get off on a little side tangent note here, which is I do this all the time. But one of the common complaints you hear in the church, and this isn't just unique to North Maine, but it was at New Song Fellowship where I pastored in Ohio, at South Lakeland First Church of God in Lakeland, Florida, uh, in my home church of Danville, Kentucky, where I grew up and went to the First Church of God there, okay? Common thing. Well, I didn't know we were doing that. Well, I didn't know, uh, uh, that's okay. I have a limited amount of time up here every week. Now, maybe I should take a whole service and tell you all the many ways that North Maine is involved in the community, globally, and all the different things that are going on. But it would truly take a whole service, if not another one, to tell you that. And maybe that's what you need. But if you want to know more, then lean in, okay? Ask questions. It's okay. I'm not, I know there was a time to get called to the pastor's office here was a bad thing, Okay? My door's always open. You want to know stuff? Come and talk to me. I'm more than happy to do that. Call into the office. We have information galore at the Welcome Center. You want to know what's going on in the life of North Main Street Church of God? The sad reality is you wait for us to give you the information. Seek it out. There's information to be had. There's an infra- we put that whole Welcome Center in so you could go to that central network of information and find out what's going on in the life of North Main Street Church of God. Find out how we're caring for the poor. Find out how we're caring for the foreigners. Find out how we're caring for the orphans and the widows and and really practically utilizing the resources at our disposal at North Main to truly impact our community for Christ in practical ways that not only change lives but hopefully impact the kingdom of God for an eternity. Okay? Again, that's not me trying to scold you, but I mean, honestly, there is information to be had, and I want you to find it out, and I don't want you to be involved with it. Have you heard the adage that um, um, 10% of the people do 90 or 100% or 90% of the work, right? Or 20% of the people do uh, 80% of the work? If the body of Christ were truly alive and well and functioning the way the body of Christ should then 100% of God's people would be finding out how they are uniquely gifted and sowing the seeds that God has given them to plant with the gifts that they've been given. I get this image of, of, of the body of Christ, and this is an offering too. It's not just resources and money, it's time and talents and giftedness, okay? You gotta be giving that too. Well, I don't have the bandwidth or the time in my schedule to be giving. I don't have, I mean, I'm running this kid here, that kid there, my grandkid over here. I'm doing all of this stuff. I just don't have the time. Okay. Then it goes back to this act of worship. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Okay. Your act of worship 
is living out what God has done for you. It's focusing your attention and your allegiance on him above all else. And if he is not who you make time for, it's one of the things I hear a lot of times. I just, I just don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to give. I just don't have enough time. Well, maybe you need to readjust your schedule. Take a look at your monthly calendar and ask yourself, what has inundated my calendar? And of the things on my calendar, what is the percentage of things that have eternal significance? It might be an eye-opener. For pastors, it's important too, because sometimes we allow our calendars to get packed with things that don't amount to a hill of beans in the grand scheme of eternity, and we have to have a, a gut check and say, whoa, 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 my goodness, how have I allowed my time to be overtaken by so many other things when the most important thing I'm neglecting is God in the process? So how are you giving? What are you giving? And, and in what ways are you giving of your time, resources, talents, and energy, because they do impact the kingdom. Maybe not in ways that you think they do, but it's amazing how when you give just a little bit, that God can multiply it over and over. Not for your benefit, but for his kingdom's benefit. Okay? Matthew 25, let me close with this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked for me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? This was before COVID, by the way. Because you can't visit, right? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We don't like to hear that side of Jesus. But we can't skip over this, can we? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave, excuse me, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or needing clothes or, or sick and in prison and didn't help you? And he'll reply to tell you the truth, whoever Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And again, the reality is when we don't make time, when we don't set aside resources, when we don't do those necessary things to act in worship to God, when we get too busy, and it's not like we're intentionally trying to slight God in any way or snub God in any way. It's just we, we got so busy, I'll do it next year or next month or next week, right? 
but we haven't been promised next month, next year, or next week. We've not even been promised the next minute of life. All we have is now. All we have is to be faithful in the now. So how are you being faithful with what God has entrusted to you? Whether it's the breath you breathe, the voice you have, the ability to pray if you can do nothing else. How are you using what God has given you to bring honor and glory to him so that it not only impacts him, it impacts others on his behalf? Because when we've done it unto the least of these, we've done it unto him. And that means good things or bad things. And no, we won't get to heaven someday and him say, well, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Okay, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. When we get to heaven, we will stand solely on the grace of God through Christ Jesus and the sacrifice he made on our behalf. But there is some response, and this is, well, is, you're saying you get to heaven by works? No. But let me, let me explain this. You can have works without faith, but you cannot have faith without works. Do you understand me? You can give a million dollars and your heart can be so far away from God. You can build buildings and houses, you can feed the hungry, clothe the sick, and your heart can still be far from God. It's about a step of faith and belief into his arena, which is heaven. Into his kingdom as one of his citizens. You cannot have faith without works. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can have works without faith, but not faith without works. James tells us that very completely and very clearly. Your life is to be lived, Paul says, as a living sacrifice. Okay? It's, an, it's your act of worship, he says. As our worship team comes forward, let me close with this uh, quote from A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors. Um, he, he doesn't pull punches. If you want a great gut check, if you want to be smacked around and kicked really hard, read A.W. Tozer, okay? Uh, amazing evangelist. Yeah, I've gone for punishment. I like to read things that really, and I, I tell people this. I just, I read a book by Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Great revivalist of the 20th century. And I never read any of his books. His name came to mind as I was reading another article. I'm like, oh, I'll read one of his books. And it was Revival God's Way. And throughout that whole book, I, I highlight, I write in the margins. And I, I don't write in the margins this word unless it really kicks me between the eyes. I write the word, a four-letter word, ouch. Okay, if I put the exclamation point, there's, all right, so, but I write the word ouch, and in one, I read this to the board this past week, I wrote ouch, comma, ouch, comma, ouch. I wrote three ouches in one of these chapters because I'm thinking, oh Lord, let this not be me. Help me, mold me, use me. I want to stand before my creator someday and say, oh Lord, I've done what I could, and I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. In A.W. Tozer's book, I Talk Back to the Devil, that's the title of the book, he reminds us, money often comes between men and God. Someone has said that you can take two small 10-cent pieces, just two dimes, and shut down the view of a panoramic landscape. You can go to the mountains and just hold the two coins closely in front of your eyes. The mountains are still there, but you can't see them 
All because there's a dime shutting off the vision in each eye. Do you catch that? It's about perspective. And the final question I have for you this morning is, do your possessions own you? Or do you own your possessions? And do you take everything that you have as a gift from God, and do you utilize what you have, whether money, resources, time, talents, energy, for his glory or for his purposes? Again, it's more than money. Our act of worship is more than money. That's what you have to, in order to understand tithes and offerings, the foundation has to be this act of worship. God doesn't need your money. He desires your heart. And until he has your heart, your life is meaningless. That sounds harsh. But apart from Christ, we can do nothing of significance and worth that is of eternal significance. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how this message has impacted your people in this place. I have no clue if people are angry, happy, sad, confused, but you do. And I pray that in this place, your word not only would not go forth void, but God would make an impact in a transformational way in the lives of those within an earshot of this message. Not because I preached it, but because it's your holy word. And it stands the test of time. Forgive us where we falter and sin, Heavenly Father. Forgive us where we've shortchanged you by burying our talents and time and resources in the sand because we were afraid to take a risk. Forgive us for not being all you've called us to be and living in the ways you desire for us to live. I pray this day, that we would make that course correction and that God, we would be reminded that everything we've been blessed with is a perfect gift from you, whether great or small. Forgive us of how we've not used it for your kingdom and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.